I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. Yes, the glasses are on. The glasses are on. It's dad joke time. Cindy, do you not have to wear reading glasses yet? No. LASIK, my friend. Oh, I have news for you. What's that, dear? I also had LASIK. Oh, yeah, no, it's coming. Like, I'm sure it's coming. Particularly when I'm driving and at night and I'm like, I can't read that road sign. And everybody else in the car is like, oh, it's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, well. no, that's not reading glasses. So road sign is in the distance. Oh, right? I know. But but the issue comes, it starts with menus and your mm-hmm. your arms start to go further away from you <laughs> during the menu. And then and then at some point it's your phone. I went to my eye doctor and I was like, hey, man, thank you for the LASIK. He was like the Emory guy who started the LASIK and right. I resisted and Jennifer got her LASIK and then talked me into it. Finally, I'm like hanging out with this guy. We had just rebooted Sugarland and went to London mm-hmm. and we had to do all these interviews. Our first show was over there. I didn't know that. Right. During bigger, we went from closing the record to starting C to C. And when we did, we were doing all these like, you know, like the. I don't know. I usually call it the radio Olympics, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, you go and do a bunch of interviews in a row and they're all in the same room. Um, and some of them were on camera. Some of them were just radio, some were different things. And I had to keep putting on and taking off my glasses with my hat and everything. And I was dressed up like me. Mm-hmm. I was being a rock star. And I was like, why am I putting my glasses? It's so unrock star of me. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, okay, I guess this is what it is. So I went to my guy and said, Man, I think my LASIK is slipping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, oh, okay, we'll take, we'll check that out. It doesn't usually happen, Christian, but we're going to look at it. So he took me through all of it and he came back and he said, look, buddy, LASIK is great. Your vision, your distance vision is insane. Mm-hmm. It's like 2015. You could see water on the bird's wings way, way far away. Your problem is is that you're in your late forties. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, man, you're like 48 years old. You're going to have, there's a thing that naturally happens. The cartilage around the eye that's usually pretty stretchy in the back starts to harden. And so therefore the, the muscles that contract and, and do close vision Mm -hmm. start to, uh, 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 it's not like they're not working anymore. It's just the cartilage is hardening because of your age. So now you're going to need glasses to see up close, to read, like reading glasses. I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, now I can offset this with LASIK again. I can change one eye oh, yeah. to see up close and leave the other eye that sees far away. And I was like, well, isn't that going to make me a little crazy? He's like, well, let's try it out. I'll give you a contact that you can wear around. In mm-hmm. one eye for a couple days. And if that's right, then you can come back and get the surgery. I said, all right. So he put that in my eye and I walked around for a couple of days and I was just like headaches and oh, yeah, miserable. No. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I, it was changing the way I, I like the way I was feeling every day. Oh, I was yeah, like, that's awful. I'm not going to do this. And so I went back in and he goes, all right, well, we have another solution if you want one. And I was like, well, what's that? He goes, it's brand new. You don't know anything about this. 
But try this out. These are contacts that are, they have power in circles. So the middle of the contact's empty. Mm -hmm. And then the next ring, the circular ring, not like bifocals, which is only the bottom part of your glasses. Or they used to have bifocal contacts that were just the bottom part of the contact. Uh But it's one ring, an entire, you know, few millimeters have a different power on it. And then the outside of it has a different power. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's almost like I'm bionic. (laughs) So I can look at something and change where my muscles are working in my eye. And holy crap, if stuff doesn't come into focus. Oh, wow. So I totally feel like $6 million man. Right. Um, but that's how it has gone. Now, he told me, he said, you may have to come in and eventually change these contact power. Right. For this. But if this works for you, go for it. Mm-hmm. I said, great. So uh, it just so happens that today I have my old prescription. <laughs> oh. So I have to pull out the reading glasses, but I kind of dig the reading glasses. They're now. very rock and roll reading glasses. Um, I have a very large collection just as my children. Uh, that was a long way to get to dad jokes. It was, but I was trying to scrub. And now we've learned some the things. conversation. Mm-hmm. My daughter asked me if I'd seen the dog bowl. I said, no, I didn't even know that he could. I was waiting for some kind of like strike or spare punchline and it never came <laughs> to the guy who invented zero. Thanks for nothing. <clears throat> Okay, then. See? This is, uh, you're, you're now old hat. Uh, so so my ex-girlfriend just told me that she wants us to get back together again. Man, I sure am lucky. I mean, first I win the lottery, and now this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> okay, this is in the same vein uh, of the one before. I told my daughter that I saw a deer on the way to work this morning. Mm-hmm. She asked me, well, how'd you know it was on its way to work? <laughs> Don't dad jokes just clear your brain just a little. They do something. <laughs> I had a conversation on the way to your house this morning because I was in the car forever. Just about kind of the second or no, the third dad joke. Like how, you know, people who get with other people just because of money could you or could you not do that i'm like i don't think so is there an amount of money that you could be like you need to be this man like there are people who do this oh i know and i know younger and younger like there that used to be i knew there were like ladies who or men or whatever that went after a wealthier older person that they were also old yeah just waiting for them to die so they could inherit their money right and uh and that was a real conversation in america for a while there remember there was that uh anna nicole smith Yes. And she married like the old, old dude who just, and I don't think any of those ladies really calculate that the old guys that have that much money can afford to keep preserving themselves. (laughs) That's a great point. It's a great point. Nobody explained to them that, you know, if he's 94 and he has $4 billion, he's going to pay to cryo himself every night. Yep. So that he's going to make it to 110. He's going to live forever like the Queen of England, who who they just released her cause of death as oh. old age. Old age. I mean, that's what her death certificate says, apparently, is old age. So, yeah, live forever. Yeah, no, I'm just not into that. I couldn't do it. 
There's not an amount of money. You can have two and a half billion dollars if you will marry this dude. Absolutely not. I don't. I might be purchasable. I'm not. I don't. I don't. And and you might be able to. There might yeah. be a number. No. I, no. I can't do it. I don't want people that I don't. I don't want people to touch me. Like I can do the Nashville huggy hug thing all day long. Totally fine with that. Beyond that, no. Like for no amount of money. Like at the end of the day, like your person is all you have. Well, it's because you are comfortable going and earning your own living. Well, yes. I I do believe, and I've been naive most of my life, (laughs) because I did not pay attention along the way (laughs) when I started to succeed and people started to, like, pay attention. Right. Uh, And I I kept thinking it was the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) I was. Well, that is what they tell you. That is what they tell you. That's what it is when you're 13, you're not rich. Right. There's just no way. And when you're 15, you're, you're absolutely broke. But if you have a guitar, man, you feel like you are the richest man in the world. Um, interesting. Okay. So let's, let me, let me build this bridge between build our, the bridge. Cause I took conversation and where direction. we're going. Yeah. Um, so you, what you're talking about is things that aren't said. Correct. Right. And, and cultural kind of silent cultural agreements. Right. Um, I would like to propose the songs that we listen to today. Yes. Um, go exploring on the idea of burying your commentary. And in mm-hmm. this case, social commentary or political commentary right. inside of songs. Yes. Which means in my own personal definition, um, that you hear what's being said and it is not plainly obvious to the listener at all times um, the allegory, right? So if you are, um, huh, if you are like, uh, I had to write a song about uh, sexual innuendo and used food. Yes, you did. As my metaphor. Yes. If you'd like to taste my ice cream, I get to taste your lollipop, right? Uh, that sounds terrible but once i told you as an innuendo about sex you now are putting all the pieces together in your head right but if i said this song well from here on in now you can't there's no example without it but this song's about hot dogs no it's not it's never about hot dogs this song's about french fries Eh, you want to share your french fries i mean there's way you can innuendo anything right right well on the other side of the spectrum is can you put your message your political message and in a lot of ways, my songs are socially political. Yes. Right. Inside of another song or another topic. And what that has brought me to is two songs we're going to explore today. Um, one is uh, the Great American Scream Machine from 52. Yes. And then I want to pair it with Sugarland's song Bigger. Yes. Uh, it became the title track to the album. But it also began... Um, very much as a conversation about my daughter at the time. And um, so it was two different ways that I have had two opportunities I've had to put commentary inside of a song. Right. But maybe you don't see it when it first goes down or 
uh, sometimes you'll see artists or writers obfuscate. They'll say one thing and make you believe it means one thing and then it means something else later. It's not as uh, as obvious as, say, Bob Dylan's The Times They Are Changing. Right. But um, I like to use uh, Springsteen, like the uh, Born in the USA. Right. Right. And you always see, like, politicians walking on stage to Born in the USA. Right. And Bruce is very politically forward as yes. an artist. He, he's, he's very much social change is very much Democrat, very much political change. Um, and, and I, I, I admire artists who, who decide that that's how they want to roll. Some artists, that's actually their platform. Like Billy Bragg, his platform is, uh, socialism, mm-hmm. you know, but it's only within the world of the UK. Um, there are some people who are like, you know, like extreme, uh, uh, LGBT, like they only like. I'm a huge fan of Muna, right? Mm-hmm. And Muna are three girls. They're all they're gay, but they do not come out and say we write songs for people who are only gay, right? Nor do they come out and say we write songs and tell you that gay is the only way, <laughs> right? They just don't. They say, we write songs that we hope you fall in love with so much that you are completely surprised that three gay girls wrote them. Right? That you're like, I love this and didn't know that. Right? So there's lots of ways to be be aware. Now, in school, in college, they taught me a lot about how art precedes social change. So a lot of times what you'll find is... um, Musicians, uh, writers, t- and then nowadays you have to consider them TV writers. Mm-hmm. So people that are telling you stories that you're consuming, mm-hmm. the stories start to change before culture does. Right? Yeah. And then sometimes then the stories start to reflect the culture, right? Because right. you want it to look the way the culture looks. But a lot of times... Like you will find historically like large art movements happened or large mu- musical movements happened before the social movements happened. Mm-hmm. Like uh, punk rock happened before we got to Nirvana. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, even in our own lifetime, Nirvana happened. That was the a real expression. I mean, people in their 50s right now, if you don't remember, you know, like being up to your neck in music that wasn't real. These kids came in and just put the real button on and started to communicate true angst. Like we are lost and no one cares about us. Right. And here's our music. And if you didn't see that, then you get it. But then like six years later, everybody's wearing flannel. Like, like it, 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 it led culture. didn't change it. Right. But it reflected what was already happening. So if that's the case, then the last six years of American history mm-hmm. has a lot going on. It's true. A change has been going at a rapid pace. It's like whiplash. Yeah. And that's neither bad nor good. It's just the truth. <laughs> and so I can't help but react to it. Um, so the first song we're, well, first of all, how do you feel as a journalist about 
music with message in it? It's hard. And it's hard because as journalists, you're not allowed to have an, a political opinion, you know? And I think we would all be lying if we said that we didn't because we do. So do you struggle with that when you have to write? 200%. Yes. Yes. It's really, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard when you have to write things that are so polar opposite against your core. Sure. Um, that you feel like you're betraying yourself when you do it. Interesting. Um, but you don't have a choice. And then, and, and, and that's not just for, gosh, it, it, it's really deep. It's, it's, it, 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 and it's not just the songs. It can be the songs, but then when you see artists that you work with and know well and have known well and have worked with for more than a decade, do something that is politicizing or something. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's politicizing. It's also in your mind wrong. Like just like really wrong. It makes it hard to cover them in the same way because we're all human, you know? And, and then when you have, but the flip side is, is that when you have music with a message that you can really get behind, then you really want to get behind it Sure. because there's so much of it in, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely more liberal than the average country music listener, I think. And so then when something comes along that I can, that I, that feels right in my heart, I get really excited about it because I don't get that much. Sure. You know, and some, some of the conversations I've had on the other side of the spectrum are so, hmm. I'm struggling for words right now well, to me, not be offensive. Let me ask you a different yeah. way. Have you ever had to interview a flat earther? No. Do you know what that is? Yes. So uh, it's one of the things that um, is an easy way into this conversation. Um, so it is absolutely provable without a doubt. Anyone can prove it. <laughs> right. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, I have an opinion that the earth is flat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. I'm basing my worldview on the fact that the earth is flat. Right. And, um, it's, it's, it's just not. So what that is, is it's somebody who has gotten enough information or in enough uh, information in a certain order that their belief system now is angled to only see that. And then they go through the conversation and defensibility of it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, I, now I understand that this is not necessarily a, uh, killing people is wrong or not killing, you know, like not killing people is right or whatever your thing is in your life. I'm a Pisces. I see the both sides of everything. Um, is that what we do? That's what we do. And, uh, it's a curse. But when you talk to a flat earther, it, it becomes very clear that you guys are not looking at the same thing. It's as if you're living on the same planet. Right. But it the planet for the other guy or the other girl is just not your planet. Right. And, and once you start to understand that, then the differences become your, I can become more compassionate. Yeah, for sure. Because I know that it's not about me being wrong. 
It's about me being compassionate. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally, I totally get that. Um, I would say in, in my, in my experience in country music, I was aware on the way in yes. to country music because um, I obviously lived in Atlanta and I had a career that had a very wide spectrum of allowable opinions. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense yes. in rock and roll? Not that opinions are not allowable in country music, but in 2003... It was a different conversation, right? Because the Dixie Chicks had just been, um, for some crazy turn of events, had made people uh, smash their records and burn their CDs and and remove them from playlists and things like this because of a political statement. And some people probably weren't even alive them that are listening to this, right? But it did happen, and it was kind of a. a a confusing thing because they were probably one of the best bands in all of country music and, and they were wholesome. Yeah, they were. And, and they had, and they had an opinion, but a lot of people had opinions at that time, just like they do today. So true story. If I write about them today, the Dixie chicks, I still get death threats. You do that far. Really? 200%. That doesn't make any sense. Cause even the guy they were criticizing was like, yeah, I kind of messed that up. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but people are still so passionate about that. Every time I write about them and I don't just mean one or two, I get a flood of death threats for writing about the Dixie chicks. Oh man. Well, that's something, maybe that was the like dog whistle that we should have paid attention to that media without media information, without actual um, reporting underneath it yeah. uh, causes misinformation. And when misinformation happens, people, and it hits somebody in the, like, I don't know, the passionate bone. They the would passionate do that. bone. But uh, what, what was interesting is I knew that going into country music and, and because we're from Atlanta and uh, Kristen was in the band at the time, she was gay. And we were coming from essentially a gay writer's community Right. In, in Atlanta and Sugarland had always been and will always be a safe place for people of every color from every planet. Right. <laughs> we don't care. Right. Uh, we intentionally write songs about how you feel. Right. <laughs> and we write songs not only about that, but socially we will pick up a flag and be like, Hey man, look, you can't beat the crap out of somebody because they're your husband or your wife. You don't have that permission and you can't treat your kid like this and you can't treat your boyfriend like you can't treat your girlfriend. Like there are things that we will stand up for in a social situation. Like, Hey man, your sandwich, you probably don't need the whole thing. Have you seen your waist? Give the other happen half of your sandwich. to Somebody that needs it. Uh, after a certain amount of money, you don't need any more money. Give it to somebody who needs it. There are lots of things in the Sugarland social sphere right. that we deal with out up front. Right. We'll even deal with it when you don't know about it. Like we'll add a dollar to the ticket mm-hmm. and give it to a charity in that city. And you'll never know. But coming to a Sugarland show, you just did something better for somebody else that you don't know. And that's a that's a thing that you learn. And I learned it from watching other artists do it. 
not yeah. really artists from Nashville, but other artists. And I think you learn the the politicalness of yourself at an early age. And then you learn to how to express it as an adult. Like I'm watching my daughter right now and she's 17 and imagine what she's looking at, right? right. She was just looking at uh, like schools and maybe, you know, oh, does that state have an abortion law? Right? Mm-hmm. Because she's a kid going to college. <laughs> and what do girls in college do? Well, they start to experiment with sex, right? Oh my gosh. You know, so she's political, not because someone's voting one way or the other. That's her actual life is going to be impacted right? by whatever those things are. Um, uh, the other political, because I was teaching her, you know, you vote your issues. Don't vote your parent. Right. And don't vote your neighborhood. Right. Vote your life. Uh, if there's someone out there that's going to forgive a college debt and you're going to have to be taking a loan for college, there's your voting issue. Right. <laughs> like, for instance, I, 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 I vote typically one way in Atlanta. And then I have a, a, a representative that's an actual, uh, a, the different party than I normally vote for but is the one supporting songwriters getting paid more money. Yep. So I'm going to vote my issue right. when it comes to that person. And it's a, it's a very personal thing. And again, I don't even tell people in my own family who I vote for. So don't ask me, I'm not going to tell you it's none of your freaking business. That's the joy of living here. Right. We can debate about it all the time. I can have all sorts of opinions, but much like I imagine many women are about to do, they may tell the people in their neighborhood one thing in the next number of months and walk into a voting booth and be like, and by the way, I belong to me. Right. Bam. So I think there's, there's a beauty nowadays in my opinion of we've stopped really wearing our favorite football team's jerseys mm-hmm. where that passion is. And we're starting to wear sometimes our political team's jerseys. Right. Right. For better or for worse. Um, I'm, I'm just hoping that people listen to more artists who are asking you about what are your personal issues? Like, what is it that you, in your life that a vote will change, you know, and young people have it, see it differently than old people, tall people differently than short people. You know, uh, uh, people who are disabled versus people who are very abled people who are, you know, like uh, people who have mental health issues versus people who think that they don't, (laughs) you know, there's all sorts of different versions of life that we all live that if we were voting the issues that were most important to our daily lives, what would they be? And the moment you ask someone else to tell you is the moment you're doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right yeah right so um this first song uh in today's pairing uh the great american scream machine is about a roller coaster it's also not about a roller coaster <laughs> and maybe we should just play it and then talk about how these kinds of things work sure but uh the only thing i will say is on the way into this, I changed the name of the song about two days before it went to be turned in. Mm-hmm. 
It was up until a number of months ago, it was called The Great American. Mm-hmm. So here is The Great American Scream Machine.
such a great song. Thank you. You're welcome. It is. And it's super clever. Well, and, there, there aren't a lot of barbs in it. No. Uh, but I, I, the first time I remember understanding or being explained what an allegory was, I was thrilled. It was like a story that was a puzzle. Right. And I, I love a good puzzle. And suddenly I was able to see things in a different way. It helped me read the Bible differently. Because uh, I, once I understood allegories, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what's going on all the time. Right. And then I thought, well, you know, why isn't this in songs more often? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't a song have two or three stories in it at the same time? And you, to do that, what you have to do is write the song, then go back and re-edit the song in order to help point direction, you know, so that when you start to understand the super clues, you're supposed to be looking through what lenses you're supposed, you know, what colors you're supposed to put over the secret decoder ring thing, you see it differently, right? And then once you realize that once you, you know, like what you put two colors in the decoder ring, it has an even different story. And they all, what's interesting is if you do it well, at least that's what I was taught by the teachers. If you do it well, all three stories tell a story. Right. Which is so hard to do. It's and, hard. And and yet you've got this song. Oh yeah. I was trying and I, and you'll see me try it over and over again through time. But this one, I, I, I couldn't, it was hard to hide it the first time <laughs> because I was like, I'm so weird about the word American. And especially this was right middle Trump where it was like everybody outside America was hating us. Right. And there, I was seeing and feeling the strangeness of, I I got, I I like a good uh, statesman, leadership statesman. I need somebody to believe when they're talking that I know they can do sentences and stuff. Right. And, um, so he, he was just not, working for me. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the opposite of a great American. Yeah. So I'm looking for one. And, and I kept waiting for one to show up. I kept waiting for somebody to show up to start telling me information that was important. Um, and that I could believe cause it was hard to believe a lot of things that were happening in the, in the television and in the radio press for the last five or six years because you couldn't tell if somebody was spinning you or not spinning you or the same piece of information you could choose different channels to watch the information through and they were telling you the same information but with a completely different opinion right (laughs) so it was like wait a minute but what really happened (laughs) you know and uh it, it was confusing so i was trying this allegory out and I loved the idea of a roller coaster as a challenge to be the backdrop for this. Because to some degree, one level of the allegory, America is like that roller coaster. And life in America is like that. Like, dare yourself to not use your hands. Try something that is almost scary in the world and go start a business. Or you know, go, go drive across America from one side to the other with nothing but 300 bucks and a friend, you know, like there is some, um, there's some magic in the freedom of this country. Right. And it's, and it's in different places. And sometimes you have to go looking for it. 
because to exist, we all have to work together. <laughs> right. All right. And to succeed, we all have to work together. But there's this weird doctrine of self-empowerment that goes on that doesn't happen in other cultures. Like mm-hmm. one of the reasons I love the Korean culture or the Japanese culture is because they value the, um, the interactivity of togetherness and respect higher than individuality. Yeah. And it therefore creates a different Thursday afternoon, <laughs> right? Than it does in America. So everything felt unhinged to, to me at the time I was writing this song. Yeah, I think it did for most of us, right? And I didn't know how to express it. But um, the the thing that re- re- I realized what I was doing is when I immediately went into the like, yeah, there's nothing left when I'm looking through the fence, the rusted fence at the broken pieces of the thing on the other side and nobody's coming to help. And there's right. broken light bulbs and everything and everyone's acting like it's not. And I, I felt like that was just like a, a vision of myself. Like I kind of feel like I'm outside or maybe the fence, it's got me fenced in rather than fenced out. I don't know. And I, once that image showed up, I was like, Oh gosh, I'm not talking about a roller coaster. Am I, Hmm. you know? And then I had to go backwards and go, well, what am I talking about? And the more I asked myself the question, the more I tried to be not writerly, but um, intentional about the words that stayed. Now as a writer, do you, do you do that? Do you write something and then go back and ask yourself, is this doing it? For sure. For sure. And I think that, you know, like writing stories, I'm, I'm guessing because I've never written a song is, is similar to writing songs. There are some songs that you probably don't have to go back through. And just like there are some stories that I don't have to go back through, but then there are the ones that you do. There are the ones that, I don't know, for me, like there are stories that I, I know I'm going to write and I could know I'm going to write about it for two months and I'm going to think about it every day for two months. And you kind of freak yourself out and you sit down and then you just do it. And there it is. But because you've put so much thought into it, it comes a little easier than you think, but you still go back through it and go back through it and go back through it and go back through it. Then there's other things that you spit out in 45 minutes that maybe you never look at again. Do you co-write articles ever? I have, but rarely, rarely. Cause this was a solo write of mine. This is not a co-write. There's no co-writer on this. It song. would, it, it's hard. Er, I think to have co-writers on, journalism no not necessarily but on topics that are so close to your heart ah that makes sense you know so whether it is a song or whether it is a story somebody's going to come in with a different opinion and a different thought process and if something is close to your heart yeah you don't i i personally don't really want the extra boost there because it's going to be it's going to be tough yeah it's going to be tough Interesting. Well, as a bridge to this next thing, the song I want to play with it, uh, Jennifer and I wrote this next song together. And I would say as a co-writer, rather than being uh, a slightly difference of opinion, um, I am like a a lit candle and she's just throwing gasoline on it. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when it comes to like when I have a, a thought about something that is very, I don't know. I have a very strong point of view Yes. about how I feel about my daughter and, and 
and being a father to her. Well, sure. It is a strong point of view that I feel like is my job. And, um, that's, I think what, what was the birthplace of this song bigger. Um, and I love that it became the album title and, uh, I, I just love everything about it. But as it came across, it was a it was a uh, a lot of stuff for that record. I had written the music ahead of time, yeah, and maybe sometimes had the hooks or things figured out. Um, and this one went very quickly, but it was us rebonding, right, as friends that had not seen each other in a long time, and me talking about you know I, I was like. God, it was the weirdest thing in the world. I thought I was going to bed and waking up my daughter for school to tell her there was a female president. And I, and instead I woke up to tell her that there was a guy who like puts his hands down girl's pants and tells the world about it. Yeah. And it was a very odd feeling to be the dad having to parent that now, mind you, I now know that my kids, as much as I am very dramatic about me carrying around this responsibility, um, they were like, yeah, I guess that happened. You know, like they're so much more resilient than my brain gives them chances to be. Okay. My kid was in first grade. She was not. She was not resilient. No, she was devastated. Devastated. Absolutely. And if you talked about it today, she is still devastated, devastated because for her, it was the death of hope. It was yeah, for yeah. her. Yeah. So. And, and, and it's the same thing. Uh, you know, it's just, it was just a very odd change of direction. Correct. Yes. And as a parent, parenting that regardless of your political views, but parenting that moment um, will be something we all talk about Yeah. for years. Um, Jennifer and I had to talk about it. And when we did, we wrote this song. And it was this, um, this very real idea of what do I tell Camille? Like what, what advice am I going to give her? Right. And I had learned during Southern gravity and during my divorce and during sort of the, the, the years where I didn't know if she was ever going to be together again, or this like sort of weird wandering in the desert. <laughs> I had learned that there's value. One of the things I wanted to use my music for was to, if something terrible were to ever happen to me that my kids could put on these songs that I've written and it would give them some compass right. somewhere because my mom passed when I was 30 and I still want the compass. <laughs> yeah. If something terrible were to happen to me, at least they would have something to listen to that reminded them of what my, um, my advice would be. Right. And I don't know if that's selfish or not as a parent or, but it was a worry. And I learned that I could do it in songs. And then I sort of gravitated toward that. I was like, Oh, I got to make sure to keep doing that. Yeah. Like it felt good to do it. Um, because a lot of times my kids don't listen to me now, but maybe they'll listen to me later. Right. <laughs> so there's a little bit like advice in a bottle <laughs> that I'm going to cap up and throw in the ocean. So bigger became that. And it was, um, it was one of these things where I was like, Jennifer, I just don't even know what to tell her. Like it's going to be, this is rough and there's no way through it other yeah. than through it. And you know, you can't believe them. You cannot believe them when they tell you that this is what women are and how they're supposed to be. And you are 
You are much more than this. And I don't want you to ever forget that. But everything in the world is going to tell you. Right. Starting now, if I see the way the dominoes are falling, which ironically, now that I'm telling you this, it's hitting me that now you can't even go, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Whew. Anyway, that's nutty. But uh, so this song was a, a, a very socially political. Right. And uh, Sugarland has never faltered from that position, which I'm very proud of now. The world's kind of caught up. Seems right. like we've been riding those waves for a while and everybody else is surfing. And we're just kind of in the houseboat over there. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, keep it up. <laughs> but uh, here's the song Bigger.
I love that song. I really do. I think it's so creative. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in there, like musically, lyrically. Got your, your message. I mean, and you had to make it all work together. That song's it's got a lot of clockwork on it. And you turned it into like an arena rock anthem. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It's amazing. It's everything that Shania taught us, except now we're just using it for good. <laughs> Rather than just to, you know, like sell records. And boots. And boots. Yeah. Well, nothing wrong with boots. No, or selling records. Or records. But uh yeah. And I didn't realize it until this time when I listened to it how way into the talking heads I am. <laughs> like I'm a big Talking Heads fan, but man, I'm a big Talking Heads fan. And who got Talking Heads into country music? Ah, this Christian guy. Bush. Christian yeah. Bush. That's great. I I love listening to that man. The whole album's great. We did a. Whew. Well, I think on that album too, you had. Yeah, Tuesday's Broken was on that. Tuesday's album. Al- yeah, we were way into it. We wrote yeah. those within a week of each other. I think. Because the Tuesday's Broken, it was another school shooting. And I think this one came first. Yeah. So this one kind of helped give me permission to express my feelings. Yeah. About social things that are going on. Yeah. And and it was only from my perspective as a dad. It really didn't like. Right. I, I don't, I would never run for office. Well, no. <laughs> you know what no. I mean? It's like. No, yeah. I, I'm not even concerned about that stuff i got no stickers on my computer right. you know what i mean mm-hmm. but i definitely want my daughter to have all the opportunity to be awesome that she can possibly be 200 percent. and i can hear I, one of the things i heard in that is uh, when it talks about burying information we were trying to stay away from the hot electric third rail right I could hear us doing it. Like there are other words I remember putting in some of those first verses that we were trying to invite in the listener, no matter what your political feelings are. Right. To get you to a place where you're able to say you're right. Not your opinion is right, but to it. It's bad out there. Yeah. And it, it doesn't look like it's getting better. But the you while you can't maybe change what's outside your door, you can shore yourself up to uh, uh, be wary of the rhetoric that's telling you that you're small. Yeah. I think that's one of the largest insults I could ever imagine. And I heard it. It's I put it into a Christmas song a long, 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 long time ago. By accident, I was writing a song with a guy and he said, we were talking about how to tell someone at Christmas that you love them. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know, um, I know, when you feel small, think of me. And I was like, oh, that is so emotional. <laughs> how did you do that? And I was, I was like, God, I didn't realize that we consider that word about our souls or ourselves. Yeah. And when somebody says, man, do you feel small right now? It means you don't feel 
like you can be yourself. You feel like you have to tuck yourself in. You feel you have to fold yourself up and put yourself in a small Tupperware somewhere. You, you're carrying the very smallness of who you are in the back part of the left side of your backpack. Right. <laughs> Even though everyone else sees this you. <laughs> right. Um, and I thought to myself, I, that is such an em- emotional way to describe of how you feel. Yeah. Because uh, there are people who say, I feel big right now. Well, that doesn't sound like the opposite of what feeling small feels like. You know what I mean? (laughs) So those words didn't work together as, as a solution. If you feel small, I hope you feel big. No. So words are kind of weird when you repeat them over and over again. So uh, the idea of second person, Mm -hmm. which is what this song is in. Uh, you're bigger than they tell you. Yeah. Which is the only antidote as a word to small. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, way to go politics. (laughs) Have you heard any like political songs that are allegorical in country music yet? Are we going to get a Marin Morris one at some point? I bet we do. I bet we do. And I don't particularly think that she even wants to go down that road, but somebody will. I hope if they, well, if Sugarland comes back, we'll totally do it again. Well, I but think no that, one will listen to us because we already say it. Well, <laughs> I think, I think actually just, and I might be making this up. So I might be misremembering this, but I'm almost positive that I heard her say recently, Marin say recently that she didn't want to go down that path, but it needed to be gone down. And she would if no one else did. Yeah. Well, so. um, I think there are probably a lot of other writers and respectfully as good yeah, or better that can uh, tackle this problem. Um, it's just whether uh, the allegory can be wise enough and well thought enough to help people who maybe don't um, know that they're championing something that right. they don't understand then they can, you know what I mean? Like music should be an invitation, not a, you shouldn't have to pick sides, right? (laughs) It should be something that we all come to the get together and to the same room and sing the same thing together and look over at somebody that's not like you and go, Oh my gosh, I I love this song. (laughs) And the other guy goes, I love this song too. And then suddenly you're less alone and you're not different. That's 200%. I like trying to make music that makes everyone feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I love it. Well, another week of intellectual joy (laughs) with Cindy Watts. All right. We'll do it again soon. We'll do it again. It's great to see you. Great to see you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Or by leaving us a voicemail at 803-900-5252. Also, remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.